It is good to be in L.A. So you can get your face in the camera. You know, I figured if I was going to see something 20 or 25 times, I ought to know more about it. You're the best son money can buy. It's a monkey. Well, sure it's a monkey. But aside from that, it's a vivid, wonderful film. Entertainment is part of what makes us exceptional. I'm not, I'm not criticizing Hollywood. Without Derek Zoolander, male modeling wouldn't be what it is today. I, I mean, I have to say, when I, when I heard that like people actually watch this show, I was, I was actually pretty surprised. Welcome to the ninth episode of Watching Mates. I'm your host this week, Lars Emerson, and I am joined by the magnanimous Michael Levito. Hi, I am magnanimous. <laughs> you are. <laughs> uh, you all know who we are. This is our podcast hosted by thepostwriter.com in which we explore trends in film under each post-war president. You know what we do? We talk about how each president's era is captured on the silver screen. In our episode this week, we're talking about America's 41st president, George H.W. Bush. George Bush, which we will be calling him this episode sometimes, (laughs) was a distinguished politician with a lengthy career hailing from a political dynasty, the Bushes. After serving in World War II, he became a businessman and was actually courted by the Democrats in the 60s to run for office, but he declined, eventually elected to the House of Representatives from Texas as a Republican. He was then appointed U.N. ambassador under President Nixon. He went on to become chair of the RNC, and then he became the modern-day equivalent of ambassador to China, as there was no official diplomatic relationship with the People's Republic until a little before 1980. Then he was director of the CIA under President Gerald Ford, before running for the presidency himself in 1980. He cast himself as a pragmatic conservative in the mold of Eisenhower, but he lost that primary, of course, to Ronald Reagan. He did get a consolation prize of vice president to Reagan, though, something that Mike and I covered in depth in our 1980 episode of our sister podcast to this one, Running Mates. Check Mm -hmm. it out. And after eight years of VP under Reagan, Bush ran for president in 1988 and defeated Democratic candidate Michael Dukakis. Bush's presidency presides over the end of the Cold War as the Soviet Union fell, presided over the Gulf War and the pursuit of NAFTA. After famously declaring... Read my lips. No new taxes. And then, you know, kind of actually raising taxes, uh, he would lose re-election in 1992 to Bill Clinton. But his son would, quote unquote, win the presidency <laughs> uh, eight years later. Not in office very long, but but it's a very important four years he's in office. What do you think yes. of his legacy, Mike? Yeah, it's funny. You know, he's the most recent president to pass away. And so he's the president who most recently gets sort of like an assessment of his legacy i think i think he's like the last of a certain kind of republican president and politician he's the last of sort of the eastern establishment to ascend to the presidency even though he lived you know a good chunk of his life in texas he was actually born and bred in new england his father i believe was a congressman from connecticut senator i want to say yeah, maybe the senator. I don't know. Prescott Bush, look him up. Yeah, and I, and I think kind of like he's generally thought of as being sort of like, you know, a he's the last of the greatest generation to be president. And he's sort of, I think, mm. viewed by some as the last of sort of like a conciliatory type of president. I think that really says more about sort of like the American people than him himself. If you actually dig into him a little bit, he did some things that we not consider very conciliatory. But he also did do, you know, a, a, some, some good, I think. He did sign the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act. He was, I think, actually the the president the country needed at the end of the Cold War, because I do think he sort of like projected a steadiness and a reserve that 
maybe Reagan or maybe other more gung-ho Republicans would not have as the USSR was collapsing. So some good, some bad, a well-respected man, no matter what you think of him. Yeah, I've heard people kind of describe him as like a pragmatic caretaker sort of presidency, which does kind of make sense to me. I mean, it's interesting that he is also the most recent president to have like succeeded a president who served from his own party, right? Yeah. That's a pretty big deal. It's 12 Mm. years of Republican presidents. Bush definitely feels more old school, like you were saying, than Reagan. Mm. And I guess he pitched himself that way too. He's certainly less polarizing. Yeah, yeah. Which is ironic because he would actually lose re-election and Reagan would Mm -hmm. win a massive re-election. But yeah, yeah, I I think mixed legacy, but I think history looks pretty fondly on him. Raising taxes was the right thing to do. (laughs) It was. No, like he's he's completely vindicated in that. Like and like I said, that's like that's the good. Right. He actually fell on like his sword when it came to like doing the right thing. Right. Right. He was he did not do what was electorally expedient. He didn't, as as Nixon suggested, prolong the Persian Gulf War so that he (laughs) he would win re-election. You know, he was like, no, time to end it right here. He also didn't go further than he felt that the U.S. had to in the Persian Gulf War and actually overthrow Saddam Hussein, unlike his son. So. Right. Yeah, he, he and he's just like a very like broadly competent person. Like he was a wonk, which I feel like. I did not even realize until he died that he was like ambassador to the UN. So yeah, he, he was a wonk. He's he was the last combat veteran to be president, so that that's also kind of interesting. He and he's the last greatest generation person to be president too. So yeah, and and uh, end of an era of presidents in many ways. Mm-hmm. So there's your brief overview in case you needed a refresher on George H. W. Bush. Um, now again, to the meat of the show, the rules of our podcast dictate that Mike and I each had to choose a film that came out within the president's administration, give or take a year. In Bush's case, that is films coming out starting in 1988 and through 1993, the year in which Bush was succeeded by Bill Clinton. So let's dive right in. What film did you choose for us, Mike? So I chose They Live, which was released in 1988 and directed by John Carpenter written by John Carpenter under the name Frank Armitage, based on the story Eight O'Clock in the Morning by Ray Nelson, and starring Roddy Piper, Keith David, Meg Foster, and a couple other people. So They Live is a story about this itinerant construction worker who moseys on into, I guess, I think it's Los Angeles, yeah, it's Los Angeles, and joins this basically shantytown uh, off the side of, uh, on the outskirts of town, and eventually discovers sunglasses uh, in, in the church next to the shantytown. And he puts the sunglasses on and he realizes that the sunglasses reveal to him the truth of the world around him. Namely, that advertising popular culture, the, the mainstream media, is designed to brainwash him and his fellow humans. And also that the world is not governed by humans, but in fact by these skeleton-looking alien types. And... <laughs> He then is sort of on a quest to make other people realize the truth and then sort of trying to rebel against these these aliens who are secretly ruling the world. Yeah. What, what, what did you think of this movie, Lars? <laughs> this was a movie. I, th- I thought it was pretty good. I don't know. Do you think it was pretty good? <laughs> I thought it was a lot of fun. It's like not. I can't tell. It's one of those things where it's like for I first heard about this movie. I had a friend in college who was like a PR major and they had to watch this movie in class or something. And she explained it to me, and I, I jokingly went, huh, wake up, sheeple, because that's kind <laughs> of like the, it's basically wake up, sheeple, the movie. It, it is. Um, and, like, 
I can't tell, I guess, how seriously it takes itself, right? Where I, I'm way more on board with it if it's like, if it's like these are the points we're trying to make, but also this is like dumb and not that deep. But I could also see where old John Carpenter's like, no, this, this is the deepest, most important thing I've ever made in my life. And it's like, right. okay, get over yourself then. It's like a lot of fun. It's like, it's, it's, it's just so weird too. Like, I don't understand how John Carpenter makes the thing, which is this like very well-regarded movie considered, you know, very technically sophisticated. And he makes the movie where a pro wrestler coins the very famous, I came here to kick ass and chew bubblegum. I'm a lot of bubblegum line. And it just like, this really weird six minute fight scene between he and Keith David. Terrible. Um, goes, Terrible fight scene. The I, fight I thought that was very I, trash. I thought that scene was very exciting, actually. But it's, it's like ridiculous. The, the sound effect is the same. And they yeah, clearly forever. never make contact. No, no. It's like very uh, poorly choreographed. So it's a weird movie, but it's a fun, like, I, I had a blast watching it. Like, I, yeah, I, I think super it's super short, it, too. It's supposed to be silly, I think. Um, yeah. God willing. Yeah. I think that. What what it kind of gets at is that like I think of Bush right and it's like how how do you kind of define the, the 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 Bush era and it's like the veneer of Reaganism started to wear off because George H W Bush was just not as convincing a salesman as Reagan was and I think in maybe some ways was not quite exactly a hundred percent politically aligned with Ronald Reagan as much right and that to me is like you know this this is it it was a nation of people put on these sunglasses and kind of saw for the world was coming to them and it's it's very apparent, right? There's literally, like, a guy giving a speech about how it's morning America again. The guy puts on the glasses, and he's one of the aliens, right? All the aliens, for the most part, are, like, these very rich upper-class people talking about these very rich upper-class things. They they go into their secret lair, and it turns out all the aliens, they're basically at just, like, a company's banquet, or it's, like, announcing how, like, earnings are up and up and up and up, and they're about to, like, crush the rebellion. Like I said, it's not, it's not very subtle at all, where it's, like, these, right. like, wealthy Reaganites who are not actually human, are oppressing the sort of, like, you know, the, the working man. It's weird to think about, but it's like Nirvana, right? This very disaffected, nihilistic music actually came out under Bush. And it's like, I feel like this is like a kind of a Nirvana movie, where it's just like, you know, it's people started, like, and like Gen X started to grow up a little bit, and they just became sort of disillusioned with the, the Reaganite dream and, and got kind of angry, and that's, that's what I think this movie is. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think it is. It's it's a little on the nose. It's you know under the guise of calm and unity, which I think is how the Reagan Bush era kind of presents itself. Is like Reagan. You think of he he's he certainly and people who support him would certainly think of him as like a unifying president. It's like oh my god, forty nine out of fifty states voted for him. You know that's a unit. <laughs> the nation is unified, but there were like clearly a lot of issues. And yeah, it turns out a lot of people really hated them and weren't doing very well. I thought. You you, talk, you sort of talked about how there's like a destitute America underneath it. The I think the opening scene especially kind of feels like America waking up from the 1980s, which I mean, it, like economically speaking, if we want to kind of talk about Bush, is he kind of had to deal with the economic fallout of the Reagan era, like the SNL crisis ha- full blown happening by the time Bush comes in. Yeah, a third of all savings and loan institutions <laughs> failed. Like you clearly see the cracks in Reagan's economic vision during this time, and people often forget that. Exactly. Yeah, and I think that's the common theme between both the movies we chose. Is is the rec- they're both recession era movies, right? Yeah. Um, and and Bush had to kind of bear the brunt of well, you know, the of the effects of policies that were passed under right. Reagan, unfortunately for him, because then it cost him 
re-election. Yeah, and so that, I, I think, is just sort of... It's also just interesting, too, where it's like, you know, I feel like the 80s very much like the era of, like, the action movie. Usually, like, you know, it's it's Rambo, you know, refighting the Vietnam War, or it's, it's Ripley fighting aliens, something like that. But there's usually, I feel like, an institutional backing in some sense. Whereas this is like, it's it's a bottom-up thing, right? It's like mm. the, you know, it's 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 the common man is fighting against the aliens, right? It's mm. it's not the military, it's not, oh, I guess the whole point of aliens is they're kind of left for dead, but you know what I mean. But, you know, there's there's like a, a po- there, it's a populist movie, right? And right. this, you know, this is an era where we see populism not only on the left, but also on the right, right? Like, George Bush would be challenged in the primary by Pat Buchanan, who ran mm. as a right-wing populist. And is arguably more influential in today's uh, Republican Party than George Bush was. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I do like how this movie <laughs> just kind of casually blames aliens for like climate change. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and stuff like that. I, I don't know. I, there's yes. I mean, I, I think the read on this movie is pretty pretty easy. There's some like cool cool shots though. Like the the scene where like the church is burning and there's like skyscrapers towering over it. I I liked that. That was good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think you do see it is a great transition from the from the Reagan 80s into the 90s and kind of the Clinton era, which is, yeah, that's basically what H.W. Bush did is he was a transitionary president in many ways, where it's like you do see the main character, John. He's like trying to tell Frank, the other main character, he's like he's trying to convince him to like, this is bad. We have to do something. And it, it turns into some conversation about like selling out or something like that. Yeah. And Frank's like, I want to say it's Frank. He's like. We all sell out like every day. Mm-hmm. We might as well be on the winning team. Mm-hmm. That that feels like a very Reagan thing, right? It's like money and profit at all at all causes. But you know, I guess John's argument is more like the truth is more important. And I mean, it's not subtle. <laughs> no, no. Well, that's the thing too. It's like it's it's not just the aliens, right? They they have they have willing human collaborators, right? And like that drifter guy who like the guy who's at the homelessness camp or the shanty town rather, and who ends up seeing them when they're at when they're like in their underground bunker but he's in like a tuxedo now mm. he's like oh he's like they, they turned to you guys too right oh, and yeah. so it's like you know a lot of sort of baby boomers who protested vietnam or something like that a lot of them would end up voting for reagan they end up they end up becoming the man right. working with the man and there, there's that element of it too not not a movie for subtlety <laughs> no, it, it, it kind of reminded me actually of uh a movie I don't care for, but it, Idiocracy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, just like the billboards and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, just yeah. being very on the nose. Yeah, I did like how like it was a very clear like 1950s sci-fi aesthetic. Like the police helicopters turn into flying saucers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> Wake up, sheeple. Yeah, that is what that movie is. All right, moving right along. The movie I chose, I took a bit of a different tracked for this one went with a different genre of movie i went with a documentary called roger and me a 1989 documentary directed by michael moore it follows the closure of general motors plant in flint michigan which resulted in a loss of thousands of jobs and it it's basically michael moore talking about how much he loves his hometown of flint michigan and laments its decline but it's centered on i guess the plot of he's trying to get an interview with Roger Smith, who's the CEO of General Motors at the time. And that's kind of the plot device that he uses to illustrate all these points. And of course, Roger Smith never wants to meet with him and he gets kicked out of building lobbies and, and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Mike, you had not seen this movie. What, what'd you think? 
I had no. I grew up in a very anti Michael Moore household. I remember a book that I started to read that my father owned when I was younger. It's published, I think, in like the mid two thousands. It's called like 101 people who are screwing up America. It's written by Bernard Goldberg <laughs> and, and Michael Moore's number one. <laughs> um, it gives him a lot of power that I don't think he has. <laughs> it does. No, it gives, it, it's ridiculous looking back on it. Like Eminem is on the list. Oh my God. Um, it, it, it's a very ridiculous list, but any, anyway, yeah. And, and so, yes, this is the first Michael Moore documentary I've watched all the way through. It's a very, it's a very well-made movie. It, it, I, thought, I thought it was really interesting, really engaging, a really just like, great document of, of this sort of like you know rust belt america in decline i don't know that i could watch another michael moore documentary because i find him personally annoying i don't mm. like his voice like his sense of humor where it's just like this very like fake midwestern like well i tried to find roger i just wanted to talk to him but he wouldn't talk to me it's just like i it does not work with for me it, i don't think it's funny i think it's cloying i think it's really annoying i think it's grating but i think this is a very well-made movie that people should watch <laughs> Um, so, <laughs> all right we love the art and hate the artist is what i'm hearing <laughs> it's like it's it, it, it's nothing against him personally it's really it, it's really like an aesthetic thing it's really just like he's humorous in like other ways like his like like visual humor i think and the way he finds like characters like the um the like front desk guy at like the detroit athletic club is like hilarious as as is like the guy who runs the theater in flint like he's also hilarious like he's great at finding these characters who feel like the straight out like Seinfeld basically, but I don't know. I just think that I just think he the his narrative tone is just really grating to me. But like I said, this is a good movie. <laughs> yeah, and and like you said, it's another it's another movie about kind of in America. Some parts of it have been left behind and are a little in decline, not doing so well. So I, we we chose kind of similar films in that regard. Yeah, I mean, I guess the same thing drove me to this one, right? Is is George H.W. Bush is a very important president for the world. I mean, you know, globalization, the new economy, that's that really kind of kicks off in the 90s and, you know, left a lot of victims in the United States. I'm not personally of the persuasion, well, and neither are actually the facts, that that was like a bad thing, that, you know, trade was bad. Uh, trade was good for more people than it was bad. But, you know, NAFTA, right, is polarizing to this day, not for very good reasons, but I think because it's been scapegoated. But this this is a film about the consequences of this new economy, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a little anti, I mean, it is, it's anti-trade, it's anti-import. You know, there's a scene where it's like, God, what is it? It's, they say like, it's like if you yeah. buy a Japanese car, like you're a monster or something like mm-hmm. that. Well, it's, it's, it's um, buy a Japanese car, apply for Japanese welfare. There you go. You know, it's these people that America's going to spend, uh, you know, the next 30 years talking about. It's angry, frustrated white people who feel like they were promised something. Well, that that's that that got me thinking. What percentage of people in this documentary, assuming that they were alive the past five years, voted for Donald Trump? Of uh, the white people they show? <laughs> P- sure. Probably a lot. Mm-hmm. Just statistically, probably yeah, a lot. That's true. Well, it's interesting, because it, it does make me kind of wonder who they voted for at the time, too, right? Like, were these sort of, like, Union Democrats who maybe were, like, the Reagan Democrats, and then maybe they voted for Bush, and then in 92, they because they, they lost their jobs, they voted for Clinton? Well, um, so they show Reagan in this movie. 
Yeah. Um, as he like visits the Union w- workers in Flint, because th- by this point, Flint is already in decline. The plant is closed. But Moore is illustrating that like politicians have been promising Flint to come back for a while. It's like after they announced that the plants are going to be shutting down. Right. He visits them um, and he tells them to just move somewhere else <laughs> Which is, is, the, is the gist you get from it. Right. Which is portrayed as negative because this film is very pro Flint. But that is sort of the reality. Yeah. <laughs> Reagan is not actually wrong. And especially at the time, sitting in Flint for the next 30 years is going to get really bad. Yes. yes. And yes, look, absolutely the government, not to get too policy heavy in this podcast, absolutely the government should have provided more help to people whose jobs were lost due to automation and offshoring and the new economy. But union decline was not the problem here, right? Is These are just jobs that aren't really like a thing anymore. Yeah, uh, well, I, I think I think the, I think the problem is like, why? Why was it not a thing? The movie portrays it. It's not a thing because they realize they can make it for cheaper in Mexico instead. Right. And like, do I think that companies should be legally obliged to stay in these communities? No, I don't think you can actually coerce that. Do I think they maybe have like a moral responsibility to do so? Like, yeah, I can buy into that idea. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's I it would be difficult to me to justify being like, well, we can make it cheap. We can basically fire a bunch of people and I get a bunch of cheaper people to replace them like that. I, I, I see the problem. I see the same problem with that, that with that, that Michael Moore sees. Yeah. I'm not sure that there's a good solution other than like government providing support for. No. Yeah. I agree. Like I said, I don't think it's a thing you can legally coerce. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it probably not be good if government was paying companies to like support a no. community that's, and when, they, um, and when they and when they do that, like 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 the 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 carrier plants in Indiana, like right after Trump was elected, people were like ah, manufacturing's coming back. Yeah, they used the money the government gave them to fire actually more employees and build robots instead. <laughs> like right. that right. that money does not go to hiring new employees when it does come from the government typically. Right. So that's kind of at the heart of this movie. It's a very nostalgic movie, right? It's nostalgic for the 50s. Mm-hmm. And we've been talking about this the whole time. It's The world is changing, mm-hmm. and these jobs are changing. And Michael Moore clearly is trying to point to the, like, the 50s Flint as a very ideal town. He mm-hmm. kind of ignores race in that segment and comes back to it when they get into crime, which <laughs> will unpack in a few minutes but it starts out with a very like white focused movie which i i get it probably was because flint probably was you know there's a lot of lament in this movie Mm -hmm. and i and i think i mean we talked about during reagan a very nostalgic era it's like we want to make america great again and uh yeah america actually has to change (laughs) yeah well it's interesting too because it's it's not just a lament for sort of things as they were but it's also i think a lament for optimism right Uh. What, what I think really separates sort of Reaganism from Trumpism, if you will, is that Reaganism is actually very optimistic. Trumpism is not. Right. Um, Reagan, but Reaganism is, is optimistic, right? It, it's, it is, you know, that America is, is a land of promise. We just have to make sure it fulfills that promise. That, you know, you know, damn it, if you just stick to it, you can pull yourself up, from, up your bootstraps and you'll be fine. And you see these series of, like, baby boomer icons sort of roll into Flint trying to peddle that same message, right? There's yeah. Bob Eubanks the uh the host of the newlywed game who tells some very offensive jokes yeah uh, i'm yeah. sure i don't know if that had an impact on his career at the time but if that if this movie had come out today would probably have got him canceled as they right. say there's pat boone who was you know a a gm spokesman comes in and who was also like actually an avowed like evangelical conservative and also anita bryant who's very interesting because she 
was actually in the 70s at the forefront of the anti-gay movement hmm. um, and was the first public figure to be pied in a political context. <laughs> a a pro-gay rights activist pied her at an event. And it actually like that her, her stance on that issue kind of ruined her career a little bit. And then I guess she could only do towns like Flint after that. So just I, I, I found that very interesting. Right. Just this idea of like all these sort of like symbols of the good old days coming in and really not offering anything new. But, hey, you know, fuck up. Right. Right. Well, and there's I think one of my favorite scenes in this is there's a scene at like a golf club. And it's like these old women playing golf. And it's like, well, what what should these people who are suffering in this town or unemployed do? And it's like, well, they're just lazy. They're like lazy, poor people. Yeah, yeah. Like you were saying, is Michael Moore is very good at like picking these people to pull out his message. I think he's very good at, uh, at making everyone else seem like the asshole when he's mm-hmm. like interrupting people at work. And act- he's like clearly the asshole, right? When you like, yeah, think about yeah. it, just like you, you take a step back and you're like, oh, yeah, he's actually being kind of a dick. Yeah, <laughs> he's like yeah. harassing people at their workplace. Mm-hmm. and whatnot it's like yeah he, like he goes to the gym he goes to the yacht club and he's like mm-hmm. bothering the waitress or whatever i, I don't know so he clearly finds like the most evil rich people in flint and like yes, really yes. tries to drive that home and i i think that's why every documentary that you ever see is it's giving you a message right it clearly has like a line that it's trying to feed you but you know i also think that this is the first film we've kind of covered in this podcast that feels like the issues of today are really starting to seep out. It's like crime, you know, prison overpopulation, gun violence. Like it's all, it's all coming out. We're getting into the modern day. That's H.W. Bush for you. Yeah, yeah, it, it did feel very modern. It felt very like, like I said, it, it made me think of Trump, right? You know, yeah. it, it made me wonder how, how many of these people voted for Trump. It's It's definitely a very white grievance focused film. Not that they don't also cover Flint has a very large black community too. I just think they come to it a little late. It's not yeah, really... I mean, I feel like the preponderance of people they show being evicted are black, yeah. as is the evictor, the, the the sheriff's deputy. Yeah, but they, there's like yeah, but a lot of their the interview subjects are not, and I, I don't know if there's a point trying to be made there or what, but uh, it it is it is interesting. Is it the sheriff's deputy who's who I can't remember if Michael Moore asked him, it's like, well, what should like what should these people do? And he's like, well, you know, get a job. And he's like, well, is that like can, is that even like possible here? And he's and he's like, well, not in this town. Or is that someone else? I know someone says, like, there's no future here, like not in this town. Yeah. Which is the sad reality. Mm-hmm. America's got to grow. And that means some people get left behind and government um, should help those people. Yeah. It, the uh, other so it's interesting you said about, like, he's very good at making other people look like assholes. I couldn't tell, like, one thing that bothered me was, like, I couldn't tell if he was trying to make fun of the woman who kills rabbits. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't tell that either. <laughs> it's clearly meant to be, like, ridiculous. Yeah. It reminded me of, like, the thin blue line. Is There's, like, a character who's portrayed with, like, clown music because, mm-hmm. she's, like, to just show that she's, like, crazy. But, but it's also like a desperation thing, right? It's like she's skinning yeah, yeah. rabbits out of desperation. But it, yeah, I, I thought I thought that part actually fell a little flat for me because it is yeah. just it's almost unbelievable. I I had to turn away when she killed and skinned the rabbit. I could not watch that scene. Yeah, it was gross. <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah. felt kind of the same way about the the Amway lady, the like color consultant. Oh yeah, yeah. I was all like, do we have to make fun of this? I like I get that it's ridiculous. But it's like, do we have to make fun of this woman? But yeah. For the most part, his targets are are worthy. Also, it just so funny to me. I'm sure this was like Michael Moore was conscious of this when he was making it. But like 
when he has like uh, Roger Smith's like Christmas address. And he's like, I'm going to talk about someone who knew Christmas very well. Charles Dickens. And it's like, yeah. it's like, oh, you mean because one's turned to like a Dickensian nightmare? Like, right. You know, also worth yeah. pointing out that 1988, when Bush was elected, was the last time until 2016 that Michigan voted for Republican in a presidential election. And you can yeah. perhaps see why that was the case. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I enjoy Michael Moore as like entertainment. I, I don't fully agree with his his line. I it was funny when I read my letterbox review. I was like, I'm sure I agree with him on more things than I don't. And then I read about his political views, like, oh, he really likes like Hugo Chavez. <laughs> it's like, uh, he's very. I think know, I agree with the spirit of most of his views, but not his. I don't think I agree with his prescriptions. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, small town America. There you go. What can we say about film overall in the H.W. Bush era? Yeah. I think it's when, you know, sort of the grunginess of America became a little more apparent, right? I talked about Nirvana before, who are a grunge band. In Roger and me especially, it's like, you know, you see these people trying to be optimistic, these people being like sort of like popular culture and political figures trying to be optimistic, trying to sell optimism, and it just isn't connecting. And so then you have sort of like the angsty 90s start to rise up instead. I think I think that's what what we saw in these movies, right? The 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 spell of Reaganism starting to wear off, right? Back to the Future is all about individualism, right? Mm. Maybe that you have control over your own destiny, and success is a two car garage in a nice part of town. These movies are all about how actually there is a sort of implicit conspiracy against you, the common man, and these things that you are being told are you should want and should strive to attain are actually unattainable. The stories we've been telling ourselves. Um, and that we've been getting kind of fat on the past eight to 12 years are are all of a sudden starting to to wear off. Which is U.S. GDP per capita would literally double between the time well, yeah, Reagan that, that, came into office and Bush left it. Well, and it's kind of interesting, too, because then the 90s are looked at as sort of like a, I think, right. a almost utopian era of America. Right. Right. Um, certainly there were certainly there were problems. But, you know, as far as like the economy and generally like foreign relations and like stuff like that goes like it was considered like you know the good times yeah and yet it kind of emerged out of this sort of like i think cynicism that really set in yeah towards the end of the 80s beginning of the 90s it'll be curious where we where we go with that when we discuss clinton in our next episode i i think the the 90s they're a very domestic decade too and so yeah we're moving into a very conspiratorial time in america starting Mm -hmm. like right about now and both of these films are both kind of conspiratorial one very obviously and the other just by presuming that all these people are out to get you Mm -hmm. yes like i said feels very modern (laughs) it does yes yeah you and you can see why a pat buchanan candidacy would have thrived yeah or even why you know ross perot would have seemed like an appealing option 1992 (laughs) right And uh, I'm sure we will get all into that in our next episode. And that is our show. As always, we hope you enjoyed it. And you can drop us a line on social media or on thepostwriter.com to let us know, you know, what you thought, any movie suggestions you've got, you know, whatever. Uh, In the meantime, I have been Lars Emerson, and you can find me on Letterboxd at Lars Emerson. I'm Michael Levito. You can find me on Letterboxd at Ameramike and on Twitter at MLevito. 
Watching Mates is a Postwriter podcast brought to you by thepostwriter.com. You can like and subscribe to this podcast wherever podcasts are found. And of course, you can follow us both on thepostwriter.com or email us at contact at thepostwriter.com. And we will see you next time to discuss the films of the Bill Clinton era.